Well, hell, 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 hell. It's a hellscape out there, Dustin. It's a hellscape if you're a writer. Yes. Yes. We'll get to yeah. that. Anyway. We'll get to it. Hey, we'll everybody. Get to it. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Let's talk We've about something. we got a couple movies to talk about. <laughs> Let's talk about something happy first. Yay. And we, we will descend from happy to terrible as the episode okay. goes on. Well, then let's start with air. Air! Yay! 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA All-Star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. My name's Sonny Vaccaro. I'm with Nike. Do you typically make it a habit of showing up at people's front doors unannounced? I don't like to take no for an answer. Oh, man. Here we go. You ask me what I do here, this is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie, yeah. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. Your motor You have our attention. You show up at the house. I believe in your son. I believe he's the future. And his story is going to make us want to fly. But a shoe is just a shoe. Until my son steps into it. Got a name for it? Air Jordan. I don't know. Seriously? Maybe it'll grow on me. So Air... (laughs) (laughs) is now streaming on Amazon faux free. Um, So you can check this out if you'd like. It's written by Alex Convery. I don't know who this is. Um, (laughs) This is his first movie. Whoa, good for him. Alex Convery. Yeah, he's not hyperlinked. And I'm always like, who is this bitch? Wow, this is written by (laughs) Alex Convery and directed by Ben Affleck. Um, It stars Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Ben Affleck, Viola Davis, and a whole bunch of other people. Um, so this is the story of, uh, Air Jordan. Um, so it's in set in 1984, um, and Nike is kind of, uh, down and out. They are, uh, third in the, uh, in the shoe wars between Adidas, uh, themselves and Converse and, uh, and they need a win. And so they decide to bet everything they have, uh, all of their basketball, uh, budget, to Michael Jordan, this rookie who uh, may or may not pan out. Um, but the process of getting Michael on their side is 
uh, is a feat because, like I said, they are the third in uh, out of out of these three big companies, um, and uh, and they can't offer as much money as the other two, and the other two have better perks, and they have uh, you know Converse has already signed Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, and so there's legacy there, and Adidas is you know the new kid on the block. They're the ones that everyone loves. The Run DMC is wearing the track suits and. Uh, they've, you know, leather, leather shoes, like this is a huge deal. And then, and then there's just old Nike hanging around. And, uh, so they're the least attractive place, but Matt Damon, uh, Darnett is going to try his best to win over the Jordans and, and get them to sign on with Nike. Um, Viola Davis plays Michael Jordan's mother. And, uh, and I, I want to give a big shout out to Viola Davis and Julius Tennant who play uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jordan. Um, they do a phenomenal job in this movie. Like I know a lot of the, um, a lot of the talk will be about Damon and Affleck and, and maybe Bateman to a lesser extent, but, um, but Viola Davis in particular steals this movie mm. like this is her movie. And, um, and the second she walks on that screen, it's like everything stops and you just have to like deal with her. Um, she plays, uh, like I said, Michael Jordan's mother, Dolores and, um, and Dolores was, you know, uh, the, the biggest reason that Michael is, uh, was so financially successful, um, so early because she stuck her neck out for him and, and believed in him and pushed him to make the right financial choices when he was young, when, when, you know, when, he was just right out of college. Right. And so, um, you know, moving up into the bulls, moving up into, uh, this, this legacy that he would leave behind. Um, it all started with Dolores kind of shaping Michael, um, and, and, and doing what was right for him, um, and recognizing that he was special and that he had something to give that maybe nobody else did. And, um, yeah, man, it's it's a good movie. Like I, um, I, I'm waffling between. I just watched it today, so I'm I'm still waffling a little bit between like three and a half and four stars. Yeah, um, but it, it, it's a really good movie, and I like it for a lot of different reasons. Um, I don't. It, the weird thing is, I don't love it, and I think there's a few reasons for that. One, um, I know how it ends. Right. Like it's one of those movies where you know how it ends and there's really no twists and turns getting there. And, right. um, you know, it, it does kind of rely on you to know where it's going to where it goes in order to truly understand it, because they don't really like like if I didn't know anything about Michael, I didn't know anything about Air Jordan. I didn't know anything about anything. Um, there's not enough explanation here to like really help me feel it, if that makes sense, just in terms of a film. And and ultimately what they're arguing over is like, you know, will we get a contract? And and there's only so much of that that feels dire and important. Um, in other words, you can only make that as important as the characters find it important. And and there's not really a great reason for the characters to find it important here. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I know that's probably how it happened, but like as a screenplay, you might want to add like a ticking clock element. Like, look, if we don't get this thing, then Nike's going under. And like, yeah, that's probably not true, but <laughs> but like otherwise, there's just not as much stake involved. It's like we want Michael. Why? Well, because we want him, and we don't want the other guys to have him. Okay, well, that's great, but like, 
you know, what's, what are the stakes really? Like if you don't get them, you know what I mean? And, and I don't think there was like huge stakes involved here. And so it kind of prevents you from getting wrapped up in it. And then, like I said, you already know how it ends anyway. And so, um, uh, that all works against it, but, but there's a lot to love here. Like the direction is actually really good. Um, Ben Affleck's a great director. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, the town Argo, I mean, these are good movies and, um, and he does a great job directing. Um, and, uh, and his performance is good. It's, you know, kind of a, a more of a scenery chewing performance than uh, other people get, but, um, but it's good. And Matt Damon's good in it and, you know, does, does his best and, um, and, and, he, and he's great and Jason Bateman's good and, you know, but, but like, you never really truly like get to know the characters and whatever, but like, um, but it is, it is a good movie. And, um, it, it really, though, picks up when the Jordans become characters in it. And they're not just like talked about because his name's on a whiteboard somewhere. Right. When they become characters, then it becomes like, oh, the movie really starts to take off here. Yeah. Um, now, I will say, don't expect much from Michael um, because they do not. Uh, and you know this from the trailers, like they're not going to show Michael um, the th- this is you're going to see his parents. You're not really going to see him and that's fine. Um, but the film does a lot of really great, you know, tricks to kind of like when he needs to be in the room, he's there, but you're not really too concerned with him, you know? And, um, because, because again, Viola Davis is stealing that scene. Yeah. Like everybody's trying to win her over because they know if they win her, then they win Michael. And so to a degree, like the pitch meetings that they go into, they're not for Michael, they're for Dolores. And, um, and so that, that's who, that's who we need to be focused on anyway. Um, so yeah, man, it's, it's a good movie. It's on Amazon prime. It's free. I do recommend it, um, whether you know how it ends or you don't, um, but you do. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's a good movie. I, I, I think, um, again, there's, there are a few things that I think I would do differently, um, that I think would help it be a little more engaging or at least like captivating. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's a fun movie. So, um, if you're looking for something that's fun and, and you know, then here you go. This got made quick. Uh, I'm reading that the script was written like in late 2020, early 2021, Mm. because Alex Coventry was watching the last dance. Mm. which, you know, it was a very recent yeah. documentary is 2020, I think Great and documentary, a, a tremendous documentary. Go, go watch it. Um, yeah. it's on Netflix, I think. And Highly recommend. I think I gave that five stars. Like that's I fantastic. Too. Yeah, yeah. The last dance is a great documentary. And, uh, he was watching this segment about how Nike signed Michael Jordan. And so he did some research, wrote a script and it was on the blacklist. And, you know, last April, uh, you know, Amazon, <laughs> Yeah, bought it up, you know, produced it, and it yeah. got made. It's like, that's that's crazy because you know a lot of times movies get like it's like oh yeah I developed this idea for like ten years, yeah, and I went through various rounds of development, and it finally got made. And this dude was just like watching a documentary in, in lockdown like the rest of us, and it was like, oh that's cool. Wrote a movie, and then it got made. Yeah. And Pretty then Ben great. Affleck was like, I'll make it. Yeah. And you're yeah, like, yeah. okay, sure, man. <laughs> Your first movie sure, gets direct. Yeah. You write a script. Two years later, you've sold the script to Amazon and yeah. Ben Affleck's directing it. You're like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. You get told like, hey, it's going to be Affleck and Damon. And you're like, okay, cool. 
it's interesting because I, I knew a little about the formation of Nike, uh, but it was it was adjacent to my knowledge of the Oregon track team because of my mm. knowledge of Steve Prefontaine and, and Bill Bowerman, who's the co-founder of the company. Mm. Um, it having been at the time mostly for track, yeah, you know, for for runners, yeah. and then it was in like the eighties where they were like we need to expand and start making like clothes and, and shoes for other sports and stuff. And, yep. you know, then they started opening retail stores and obviously yeah. a big part of them blowing up is we need to get an athlete signed with yes. us to yep. endorse this, this product. And, yep. you know, I was just looking while you're talking, I was looking at their, their logo evolution. They only changed their logo four times. Yeah. Um, and the first one was just the original blue ribbon sports you know, mm, yeah, but like, yeah. you know, then there's like a, a Nike seventies one. Then there's the Nike one that we know of. And then if, in 1995, they just went with the swish. It was like, yeah. everyone knows who we are. It's great. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And it's yeah. just been for, for almost 30 years. It's been just the swoosh. Yeah. It's like, yep. it's crazy. What's, what's crazy too, is like the, the amount of business acumen that the Jordans possessed at that time. Yeah. Like, it, the, the thing is, you know, it's the eighties. No one had ever risen to the level that Michael was going to rise to. Yeah. Right. Like not even magic Johnson, not even Larry bird, like, like nobody was Michael's level. And, and, and so it was kind of uncharted territory a lot of the time. And these are just like, you know, humble folks that live in North Carolina yeah, and they're suddenly being offered these huge contracts. Yeah. And, and I think anybody would just be like so over the moon about that that they're just like yeah I'll take, take whatever the first deal take the yeah. first thing that gets offered them but Dolores was so particular and like she knew look the way that y- that y'all are looking at this is Michael is like your employee right mm-hmm. but the problem is right now you think Michael is going to endorse your product but it's going to be flipped you're going to be endorsing Michael Right. Right. You think that the NBA is going to be promoting Michael? No, no, no. Michael is going to be promoting the NBA. Like they're going to grow because of him. And so, and so we're not going to give him away for nothing. And, and the level of like self-confidence, like no wonder Michael's so good because his mother is so good. Yeah. Like, like no, I don't have that level of self-confidence to be like, no, this is my worth and this is what you're going to pay me. Right. But like the Jordans just like naturally possess this this thing where they they just knew what they were worth. And it's not even arrogance. Like no. like at a certain point you could look at it and be like that's kind of arrogant. But you're also like but it's true though. Right. Arrogance is when they go, "Well, okay, we'll forget it then. Like we'll find some other athlete." Like yeah, then right. you've been arrogant. But yes. for them to recognize his value so early, yeah. And when there was, you know, a, you know, a, a plenty at stake for yeah. him, at least like not taking yeah. it, yeah. but in her mind, it's like Michael's on his way up either way. So like, yeah. even without this endorsement, he'll be fine. It's like, they, yes. it's truly them who needs us. Correct. You know? I mean, y'all, Correct. y'all came to us with this, with this deal. Like, yep. f- don't forget like who called who. Exactly. Yeah. And, th- and that's the, that's the thing. Like, that's, what's just so impressive about it. Um, and, and I think it's still, um, 
still uh, reported that Michael earns like four hundred million dollars per year off the sales of Air, of oh Air Jordans. Oh my god! Can you? That's passive income. Dude. I know. <laughs> he he sits at home and a check for four hundred million dollars drops on his doorstep. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. That is ridiculous. God. For, for nothing. I mean, I say nothing for yeah. a lot of hard work and a lot of blood, sweat and tears. But the reality of what used to be valuable and what used to be like something that could generate that kind of mm. income. Yeah. Like, I don't see that sort of thing being a thing to that degree ever again. Yeah. The idea that there's that much money for that specific of a thing that they told yeah. one person, yes, we agree to this percentage of sales or whatever. Yeah. And it's just hundreds of millions of dollars to one person yeah for decades forever yeah. right and it's like that's insane it's crazy dude yeah like yeah it, it i i just my mind can't fathom that and and i also think about like you know how competitive michael is and he's you know always kind of like one to gamble a little bit and i'm like the thrill of that is gone completely because the idea of like okay i've got 400 million dollars if i win 20 bucks in this game in, in this little game yeah. what does that mean and if i lose a hundred million dollars what does that mean like none of it means anything um so yeah. yeah dude but um but yeah so that's air i do recommend it um three and a half four stars if you're feeling generous um and um yeah man it's good let's begin our descent uh, we're, begin. We're, begin, we're getting our we're getting our approach to the wga Okay. Uh, so we're now arriving at fall. You said descent, and I thought that was a, a pun, but. Uh, oh, like we're going to watch, uh, we're going to talk about the descent. We're going to talk about fall. Yes. We're going to talk about falling, falling optimism. Falling to the ground. This is <laughs> sick. Damn it, Hunter. What are you getting us into? If you don't confront your fears, you are always going to be afraid. Trust me. I don't have a signal. The water is down there in that bag. We have 50 feet of rope. I think I could drop myself lower. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna jump onto the bag. Hunter, no! Hunter! Every hour that passes, the weaker we get. If anyone called 911, they'd be here by now. What is it that Dan used to say? If you're scared of dying, don't be afraid to live. So Fall is a film from 2022. Um, and uh, this dropped on Netflix, I think, overseas. But here, I'm not sure what it did. I, maybe it had a short theatrical run. I, I, I'm not sure. It feels like I saw it somewhere. It, it did get a theatrical run. I, so I watched this on Hulu. You have to have a premium subscription now. Um, but anyway. Uh, to like watch, star, yeah, it's, like it's stars, stars or something. Yeah. Um, so, so fall is um, the story of two girls um, played by uh, Grace Caroline Curry and Virginia Gardner. Um, they are, uh, they're rock climbers and the film begins with the two of them climbing, uh, El Capitan and they are, uh, having fun and, uh, and Grace Caroline Curry's character, um, her husband is with them and, um, and then he has a tragic accident and falls to his death. 
Um, and so the remainder of the film is her. It's set a year after his death. Um, she is grieving her loss still and kind of drinking herself to sleep every night. And, um, and her friend, Virginia, uh, played by Virginia, um, uh, Gardner comes over and says like, Hey man, like you got to get over this. You know, I want to take you somewhere and let's go climb something. And like, you need to move on. And so they decide to go climb what was once like the tallest structure in the U S it's maybe like the third tallest, um, now. I don't think this is a real place, but um, but it's it's a radio tower. And so um, it is a climb straight up on a ladder um, for a large portion of it. They are enclosed. And then the ladder is exterior all the way up to like a landing pad. And then at the very top is like a flashing light so that, you know, the planes don't hit it and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a tall, tall son of a gun. And uh they get up to the very top. They have their euphoric moment of having conquered um, this big thing, and uh, and then on their on their descent back down, the ladder snaps off and breaks, um, and now they're stuck at the very tip top of this humongous tower with one backpack, which uh, has very few supplies, and um, and they have no way down. Um, so what do you do? It's you and a friend stuck on the top of a tower with no way down. Um, well, you have a lot of conversations and you fight off some buzzards and you get really sunburned. It's an interesting premise because it's one of those things where there's more to it than you should do in a short film, but there's not enough to it for it to be a feature film. Um, it's it's like this weird in-between zone where... It's a good idea, but there's just not enough meat on it to to want to watch it for 90 minutes or however long this movie is. Yeah. So I'm just going to say it's two stars. Um, it, I, I don't hate it, but I also found it kind of uh, kind of frustrating just because I'm like at a certain point, it's just not scary anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Try something and die i don't care like just do something um <laughs> somebody move and, yeah yeah right and um and so you know they talk and they learn about each other's character i guess and whatever yeah. so you're like oh it's a character thing that's what it's actually about and it's like well maybe but there's just not enough here for that to be the case um so it's really that it's it's about how do we get down when we don't have a way down how do we get people's attention? How do we, do? and it just starts to become frustrating. So they do this thing where, um, you know, these characters are, are, are physically stuck, right? Mm -hmm. They cannot move. So how do we make an hour and 40 minutes, not feel like a slog when the characters are literally in one spot, not moving. <laughs> um, and so they have little things happen like, Oh, we see um, a, a an RV parked somewhere close. Maybe if we can get their attention and they can see that we're up here, then we can, you know, we'll be saved, right? Because they'll call 911, whatever. And so they have this little like glimmer of hope and then that gets dashed. And then they have another little glimmer of hope like, oh, look, it's a we have one bar. We could get one bar of service if we drop down here. Oh, but then something's going to happen and we're going to. That's not going to work out. Right. And so at a certain point, it becomes like, 
man, dude, I can't watch another plan of theirs just fail. Fail. Because that's just what it is. <laughs> because all it is is we have an idea. Oh, that didn't work. Now what do we do? Okay, we have another long conversation with each other about how life is sad. Mm-hmm. And then and then we try something else and then that fails. And then life is sad again. And it it just becomes like a hassle. And as an audience member, I just found myself thinking like, I think I'm, I think I'm done. Like, <laughs> you know, like uh, at some point something's got to work or it just feels like hopeless. And I don't know, that's just so depressing to watch. And so, and, and honestly, a little boring. If you handed this script to me and said, doctor it, I'd be like, there's just not enough here. An hour 47 without making it longer, we have to add more to it because there's just not enough story here. And, and like, if you read reviews, everyone's like, well, it'll make you so scared of heights. And I'm like, look, I'm actually like kind of afraid of heights, but I never felt the vertigo in this that I've felt in other movies. Like not even we recently talked about Mission Impossible 2 and 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 Tom Cruise on the side of that mountain at the beginning of that. Right. Like I feel way more stressed about that than I did about this this entire film. Yeah. Um, And uh, and that's saying something. So um, plus I've seen Free Solo and that movie is like the epitome of butt sweat. (laughs) <laughs> tension you know what i mean and so like this is nothing i don't really recommend it it's one of those movies like you you, just, you look at it and you go oh that seems exciting but you like like i remember um it reminds me a little bit of like open water you know yeah. open open water was a movie i think it was oh two where it was based on a true story and it was these yeah. divers who basically their diving group miscounted their heads mm. they didn't come back to the boat when they're supposed to or something it, 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 it seems so contrived in the movie, but it really did sure. happen, you yeah. know? And then like those, the boat left, they come up after the thing, they're like, Hey, where's the boat? And yeah. now they're just in the ocean and yeah. they're like, whatever, like 20, 30 miles offshore or something crazy. Yeah. And they're sharks. And yeah. they, of course they have no food, you know, they, they have to tread water because they're, there's no flotation devices and blah, blah, blah. It's just a, a horrible ordeal. Yeah. And it is scary. And it's, it's, you know, and they filmed in the water with real sharks and everything. And so that's like, that's yeah. like one of the draws production wise. But when you watch it, it's like, okay, but most of the time we're going to be here. We're ha- we're either going to do flashbacks about like melancholy, emotional things, mm-hmm. or like there's not much, there's not many ways you can progress their plight. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it's a terrifying premise. Like people are stuck somewhere and they can't just wave down help. There's no help around. Yeah. And it's like you either contrive a bunch of things that would never, ever happen, which would at least yeah. be a more exciting viewing experience, but you wouldn't respect yep. the film for, for making that kind of a choice. Yeah. Or you do what you do in these movies, which is just, let's just talk about our feelings and have yeah. a few plans not work. Yeah. And at least in the case of open water, let's just both die. And, yeah. you know, yep. it's, it's yep. like, oh, okay. What? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's interesting because you used a good word, progress, right? Yeah. Like like there's no way to progress the story. And and that's a hundred percent true for fall. There's no progression. Every sense that there's a step forward being taken, it's then immediately ripped away from you. And that becomes frustrating to watch. And and you're just like, so so basically what you're telling me is I'm gonna watch this entire movie and the last plan is gonna work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know I just have to wait for the last one. 
And and when there's 10 minutes left in the movie and they start making a plan, oh, this will be the one. I, I'm going to go ahead and spoil Fall. Um Okay. If you're cool with that. Yeah, yeah. So, so if if you really just despite every warning I've given you, really want to watch this movie, you can jump forward, but like so Fall um as it turns out like at one point one of the characters is like um I'm going to take my shoe off, put the my phone in my shoe and set like a, a call to go through or whatever and throw my shoe off onto the ground and then hopefully the shoe will cushion the 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 phone enough so that when it hits the ground it'll have reception down there and the call will go through yeah okay fine whatever great um she takes her shoe off and then the main girl sees uh, a tattoo which makes her realize and us the audience realize that this girl who's like you need to get over your dead husband um it actually had an affair with the husband. And mm-hmm. so now there's like, it's not bad. It's as if it's not bad enough that you're stuck <laughs> on a tower with no way down. Now you hate the person you're stuck with. Yeah. Right. And it's like that kind of stuff where you start just, Oh my gosh. And then, and then, and then they go through all this stuff. There's like, you know, all of these like big challenges and, and whatever, and they keep failing and blah, blah, blah. And then at, at some point, the the main character is like talking to the other character and the other character looks kind of like it, for a while has seemed like more distant. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, it's because, you know, they're at odds now because she slept with her husband or whatever. Yeah. The truth is, yeah, no, the the main girl, uh, the, the other girl died and the main girl's been hallucinating her for some time now. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, okay. So the main girl's alive alone and the other girl's just dead halfway down the thing because she fell yeah. and, and hit a satellite dish or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, ah, okay. Cause, cause it could have been about a bunch of things, right? Like it could have been, oh, the, the whole like, premise of the 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 broken tower is this this thing to get these two characters who are at odds to forgive one another to understand like we both fell in love with the same man and you know yes you shouldn't have slept with him when i was married to him but like yeah you know forgiveness and togetherness and we're friends again and we've been friends forever and whatever or uh, hey that's a really uncool thing to do so whatever. And so we're going to get down here and survive, but we're not friends anymore. Like rather than take a stance, they're just like, eh, one of them's dead. Hey. <laughs> and so it's like, Oh, so the story meant nothing is yeah. what you're telling me. Um, and, um, and the only lesson learned th- this, this is what really got me too. Um, there there's voiceover at the end and I had the biggest eye roll here. This is my last point. Um, because the whole the whole premise of this thing is like letting go and moving on from the things that are holding you down, like your dead husband. And and uh, and there's like this thing where they say a couple times, like, what was it he used to say? Like, don't be so afraid of living that you stop. Don't be afraid. Don't be so afraid of dying that you stop living. Right. Like, oh, mm-hmm. he used to say this all the time and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so profound. And, uh, and then at the end, she comes down off the thing, her dad's there and he's like, come on, baby girl, let's get you home. Um, even though you broke 
inter- you broke a bunch of laws by climbing this tower. Like yeah. we're just going to let you go home. Um, and probably there's a homicide investigation now because your friend's dead. Um, and, and, and you have yeah, motive. Yeah. There's the police would like to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and as they're walking off and there's like this drone shot of like, you know, police and ambulances picking up the dead corpse of the other girl and whatever else, um, that, over all of this, you hear a voiceover from the main girl saying, don't be so afraid of, of dying that you never live. Like, get out there and do something great or whatever. And like, whatever, whatever it is. And I'm like, the whole movie was about how awful a decision that was. Yeah. You can't just you can't just leave. It's the movie didn't even understand its own themes. <laughs> like, I don't want to get out and live my life if that means being abandoned on the top of a big freaking tower. Like this is stupid, and Ugh. so anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I'm going on more about this than I intended, but but the the bottom line is that I think it, it kind of misplaced its own themes, and um, yeah, just kind of uh, there's no progression to it, so um, it's hard to feel satis- satisfied when it ends. Um, so yeah, two stars. Again, film uh, film is subjective. And, yeah. um, I'm reading here, like what that Stephen King apparently tweeted, like the, we, uh, about this movie. Yeah. And he'd said, you know, tight, terrific, and very, very scary. Reminded me a bit of duel. Wish I'd written it. Mm. So you see a tweet like that and you're like, oh my God, Stephen King. Must be great. Leah loves this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look, Stephen King is Stephen King, but like, he's still a person with a, with, you know, with a perspective that you may not share. And, right. you know, oh, he saw a movie where two girls, you know, climbed up the top of this tower and, you know, tight, terrific, very, very scary. And no offense to Stephen King, but who says Stephen King has like an acutely tuned, like, sure. who says he has good taste in movies? He's a right. prolific and really great, you know, author. But yeah, d- does Stephen King have a record of recommending banger films, you know? Or, right. <laughs> or there, does- there are a lot of people that really like this movie. Um I, I guess I can understand it to to a degree, mm-hmm. but um, it's got like a 79 on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, whatever. But I, I, I just I found it kind of like thematically confusing and, you know, just kind of, yeah, it just didn't have the progression that you would hope for. Like, I think it would even be better if they had like moved from their spot and made it halfway down. Like despite all odds, at some point in the film they make it halfway down, and then yeah. something else happens. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least you moved. Like a storm. Yeah. Right. Like, but but at least you moved a little. But the problem yeah. is they don't move at all. Yeah. That's the problem. And and so yeah, there's just no progression to it. Sorry, fall. No, nope, sorry, fall. Or rather, fall should apologize to 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 you. <laughs> No, Fall doesn't have anything to apologize for. It's just, it's just, eh, yeah. just Um, do you want to briefly talk about the writer's strike? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I figured we haven't really said anything about it. There's not much to say. Um, there's yeah. another writer's strike going on right now. If people didn't realize that, I think if you're listening to this show, you probably did, were aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. and you may remember the last writer's strike in 2007. That was yep. the last time that the WGA went on strike. And if you remember, it resulted in a lot of terrible (laughs) movies and TV because 
productions must go on. And when you go on without writers, uh, they're worse. Yeah. That's kind of their whole point is yep. um, when you undervalue your, the people who originate the things that are the, the projects you're making, yeah. um, you, uh, you end up with an inferior project and yep. studios are notoriously short sighted. And yep. they think that because they've stockpiled, this is why studios buy and stockpile screenplays because for them, it's like, well, if there's a strike, we've got stacks of scripts that we can produce. The yep. thing is writers, you know, if it's a TV show where the writers a lot more involved throughout, that's a big problem. If it's a yep. late night talk show where writers are literally doing the job every day on the day, that's a problem. Yep. And um, if the writer is also like any type of like executive producer showrunner, like that person's on strike. So that their, their duties as producer and showrunner aren't getting done either. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the WGA's point too. Like writers are yeah. doing more than just simply writing things, but they're also being forced to settle for comparatively low pay um, because of, you know, streaming and, um, and shorter seasons of television um, essentially taking the rate per episode that could sustain them for an entire year and shrinking it down into something that's, you know, a lot of money for Dustin or I, but not enough for a working writer in Los Angeles to live on. Someone getting paid, Dustin sent me um, a, a podcast that I'll put in the show notes for people to listen to just to get the kind of the main points of it. But, you know, if you're paid $10,000 an episode, and you're, which is a lot of money for me and Dustin, but you know, if you live in Los Angeles and you're supporting yourself as a writer, you're like, oh, cool. 22 episodes. Like that's gonna be awesome. And that's 20, that's $220,000, you know, which yeah. is a middle-class income on the low end on the West yeah. coast. Um, yeah. but then it's like, oh, but if it's a 10 episode season, that's like, oh, that's just a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, you know, and it's going to take four months of my time. Yep. And I can't spend that time doing other lucrative projects that that does add up. And the particular point you had mentioned you that's mentioned in that episode you sent me was about we can um, it also inhibit the, the current WGA uh, the current limitations on writers from studios is that it's preventing um, because they won't pay writers to be apprenticed to to be showrunners. Um, it's a huge problem for their, for, for content down the line, because according to, you know, Mike Schur, who's a great showrunner and writer himself has said like, that is how that's where showrunners come from. It's yeah. from learning from other showrunners and being allowed to be apprenticed and yeah. for them to be on set those days and learn things, they, they need to be paid yeah. and studios are like, well, they're not writing. Why are we paying them? Right. <laughs> Right. Well, and, and you're and, investing in them. <laughs> correct. And and this is this is the rub, right? Because it, it makes sense that a studio is going to like. So if I pitched a TV show tomorrow, mm -hmm. they're probably not going to let me be the showrunner. Why? Right. Because I have no experience as a showrunner exactly. or, or throughout that uh, process of production from, you know, pre-production writing through the editing process to release. I, I don't I don't have that that experience. And so, so they're not going to do that. So the problem is, or the way that it has always worked is that writers, uh, writers do experience that. Um, they, they, they write the thing in a room somewhere 
And then they go to the set and they're, you know, tossing out lines of dialogue that don't work and, and putting in new ones day of, and like, you know, throwing to the, the actors, Hey, try this. Right. And, and giving them ideas or helping the director understand the intention. Right. So when the director comes in and says, wait, why am I showing a close up of this? Oh, well, it's because that's setting up something three episodes from now. You don't know it because you're just a hired director for this episode. Right. But we need that because of this, right. The writers are there on set to make sure that all of this is happening the way that it's supposed to happen. And, and then, and then in a good show, the writers will also be involved in, in not just the production process, but in the post-production process. And yeah. they're seeing the editing and they're seeing the sound mix and they're seeing all of that. And then, and then it's released so that then when they come up with the idea of their own and they take it to a studio and say, Hey, I'd like to, you know, pitch this idea. Then the studio says, Oh, well, look, they have experience on five other shows where they were involved in that whole process. So we can trust them to be a showrunner because they, have seen it. Maybe they've never done it, but they've seen it. And that's, you know, half the battle. And what Mike Schur in this podcast talks about is we're, like you said, we're losing that thing. So five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, the writers that are currently working for Netflix are, are, are sitting in a room writing, passing that off, and they're not on set. They're not in post-production. So when those writers you know, in 15 years want to move up to the next level in the business, they have nowhere to go because the studios are going to say, you don't have experience in these other areas, right? Because you wouldn't give me those, that experience in those areas. Um, so that's the problem. Plus in 10 to 15 years, they're not making the same amount of money that they normally would have. So in 10 to 15 years, they probably have gone to find another job that isn't writing. Right. And, and that's, sort of the problem and they've moved away from LA in general. Right. And like, that's the, that's, that's the problem. And so what the WGA is currently, you know, marching for, um, among other things is, uh, the full experience that has always been for staff writers, um, to come up through the ranks and a livable wage. Um, you know, the, the, the minimums need to be increased and, you know, we need to be able to, um, have the, the analytics work in everybody's favor, the way that they have in the past. Um, because as it is, the model for streaming is different. Um, we're, we're no longer working on the advertiser's dollar. We're now working on customer acquisition, right? Like that's yeah. the big thing. So, so how do we make sure that the writers who are potentially bringing somebody like HBO Max or Netflix, you know, millions and millions of dollars every year, billions of dollars every year, how do we make sure that they're compensated fairly for the fact that, like we've said, uh, without them, there is no content? Right. Yeah. The, there's plenty of articles out there that you could look at, you know, but like, the WGA is saying, you know, a strike, a long strike is going to cost studios a lot more money than just paying, paying the writers, the settlement, just paying yeah. them, just meeting their demands. Yeah. You know, like this is an ongoing thing. I mean, like I remember in 2007, that strike was about, was about residuals, but that was about like residuals that were going for content that was going to the internet and, and, a little, and a little bit of like DVD, I think as well. Yeah, sure. And yeah. they, it was settled. I don't remember what happened. I think, you know, the studios met their demands or whatever. And, and now yeah. it's like the distribution model once again is 
way different. Yeah. And we've been hearing for years about how this adversely affects the creative talent. Um, yep. You know, and principally the writers. Like I was thinking like, why do I never hear about like the DGA, you know, striking or, mm. you know, I was thinking about like Hans Zimmer, like he must be a member of some kind of guild, like, you know, the composers yeah. guild. Like I'm sure there's other guilds and unions within filmmaking. Why yeah. do I never hear about them striking? I was just trying to think of the angle. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, well, they're, they're just, they're not tied up in the IP. Like yeah. the ideation is everything like Hans Zimmer, you know, like because the composers are probably happy, like, no, I'm making plenty of money. Like there's nothing unreasonable. No one is screwing with my money. No one yeah. is, no one is fucking with my living. Yeah. And even directors, like I was telling Tara, like the directors are, uh, cause I learned from David F. Sandberg, like the directors, is, I mean, they're paid a pretty, even the DGA minimum is like a pretty crazy rate. It's like 13 grand a week or something. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, it's not like bonkers and you'll make yeah. more if you're Ridley Scott or Steven Spielberg. Right. But, you know, directors by and large are like paid fairly and, yeah. you know, no one is trying to mess with that because, yeah. again, as a director, there's never a talk about, oh, back end money for you. That's like executive producer stuff or producer credit, that sort of thing. And yeah. and that's all negotiated up front. But what writers are fighting for is that the system inherently be fair to them when something that they have created or contributed to creatively reaches a certain amount of people. Yeah. And that that matters. It's not yeah. something, it's not something where you could go, oh, we'll just negotiate it in a contract. Like at scale, there's way too many people, way too many scripts for that yeah. to ever apply versus yeah. directing or or composing or other things. Like yeah. writing is just it's it's just a different beast. And it's it's arguably the only position here where this is constantly at risk by new distribution models. And and it's funny, it it's it's a unique position because if you think about something like um like composing, because you brought mm-hmm. up composing. Yeah. Um uh, composing is something that happens, you know, towards the end of a film after it's picture locked. Here yeah. you go. Let's create the score. Right. But it's essentially like now, granted, people have buddies that they use all the time. You know, John Williams is always with Steven Spielberg. Right. Mm-hmm. But but it's essentially like, OK, we put out the offer to six composers and they're all going to put in bids like I'll do it for this amount of money. I'll do it for this amount of money. These are my ideas. Right. And then you pick what's best. Right. Um, and same even can be said sometimes for directors. Mm-hmm. Right. We've got a script. We need somebody to direct it. Um, we could send it out to Colin Trevorrow. We can send it to Ryan Johnson. We can send it to JJ Abrams. Yeah. Let's pick from that pool who we want it to who we want it to be right based on what we'd have to pay them based on you know their previous work and that sort of thing but but writing is is inherently different from both of those things because it is the first step yeah um so there isn't like oh hey um i have an idea let's bid it out to somebody to write it right that's not typically how it would work. Yeah. It, 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 it does work that way sometimes, right? Kevin Feige has an idea. Who's going to write this script? Oh, let's let Edgar Wright write Ant-Man, mm-hmm. right? But what it what it is more likely to be is the writer has an idea, writes a script, and now, now that script goes out into the world and needs to go somewhere and all of these people bid on it and they're trying to, you know, win their 
you know, participation in it. And, and so that's where that all comes from. But the writer at this point is already hands off. Yeah. And so, so the problem is by the time a director is attached and certainly by the time a composer is attached and working, the writer is so far removed from the project that it, it can sometimes feel like the writer's getting consistently screwed over because they're just so far removed from it. I mean, there's a reason why so many directors write their own material, right? It's because like I can own it and writers, they just kind of pass it off and whatever. But, and it's easy to get a big head about it and be like, well, without me, there's no, there's nothing. You, you all have nothing. Um, but, but it is true. And we, we talked recently about like knowing your worth and, and the truth is writers are worth a lot more than they're sometimes given and and that's because they're the first step more power to them i hope they get what they what they need because what it boils down to for me for hollywood is always this the people who work in hollywood who provide entertainment for the rest of us um they deserve to make a livable wage especially when the corporations that output the the finished product stand to make billions um then the creatives should be making something livable and ideally above just you know livable um because billions are at stake for for a studio we always you and i've talked offline even about like you know how important it is to to maintain a work-life balance and how hard that is in hollywood yeah but like everyone deserves these things because they're valid they're all valuable Right. Like a film can't be made without a writer and a film can't be made without a director and a film can't be made without a composer and a film can't be made without a you name it. Um, so it's all collaborative and everybody's worth is is their worth. And uh, yeah, man. So when I look at something like, you know, Jurassic World Dominion makes 18 billion dollars at the box office and, you know, 17 trillion billion dollars at Walmart for toy sales yeah uh yeah you know it's i think the writers should get more sorry i just do yeah that's what that's one of the things that mike sure was saying on that podcast was like these companies make billions of dollars yeah like they have the money yes we're not being unreasonable in what we're asking for and if you look at like you know the amount of stocks they buy back and blah, blah, you know, businessy yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, they could take like a $10.6 billion expenditure, make it 10.5 instead. And with that saved, you know, 0.1 billion dollars. Yeah. Meet the WGA's demands. Yeah. Like right. it is pennies compared to what they're, what they're able to make and slough off yeah. and write off and get away with. Yeah. And, and they're being short-sighted by suggesting that they don't need to treat their creators fairly. Yes. Because even limiting the decision to self-interest, that's going to contribute to just inferior product yep. down the road. Yep. Uh, not to mention, it's just a shitty thing to do. Like if you have the money, you should pay the people what they deserve to be paid. 
And you know damn well that the distribution model has changed. You can't just sit there and be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. What's Netflix? Like, you fucking know what I'm talking about. Like, (laughs) don't lie and say that that this isn't happening. Right. Um, It's ridiculous. I I hate the idea of like one of the things that gets me down about like wanting to pursue writing as a career is like, oh, I just have this to look forward to. Like not being able to live in the city where I would be seeking work or not being paid fairly for the work I did do and managed to sell. Mm. It's like the idea that to me, like facing the publishing industry Mm. is a, is a rosier and sunnier outlook than trying to write a script for television. That's fucked up because, because it's plenty difficult for, for, for book authors out there, but at least, you know, at least they're not constantly having to, worry about I say the concept to worry. It's not like authors have to go on strike because the publishers are screwing up residuals. Right. That's a project based, you know, d- agreed upon some before it starts. Yep. And that protects everyone from those sorts of things happening. I'm not saying like authors are making bank, but authors yep. negotiate their terms and agree to terms. Yeah. Studios are just trying to to get away with paying people less. And yep. they don't want to deal with, hey, the model's been changing for like 15 years and we're finally going to strike about it. And they're like, this is unacceptable. You're so selfish. It's yeah. like it, most of us just left the industry and, 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 you know, like, but those of us are still here. Like this is, this is unacceptable. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I everybody deserves to be able to live comfortably, uh, with yeah. the amount of work that I know writing a script is. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's so much work. And just the idea of like creating something from nothing. From nothing. And and for that thing to have resonance, to mm-hmm. speak to people, to potentially be something that could be built off of and, and milked yeah. for decades of yeah. money, yeah, that's valuable. And if yeah. it's valuable enough for you to profit off of it, then it's valuable enough to pay the person whose idea it was. Yeah, right. There's an article I'll put in the show notes, um, a Mashable article, how to support the WGA, the writer strike. You know, there's various things you can donate to. There's something called the Entertainment Community Fund. It's for Hollywood crew members who might suffer hardship and lost wages because mm-hmm. things aren't getting made because there's no scripts. There's nothing yep. to produce. So, um, yeah. And you can look forward to some movies. uh <laughs> sucking for the next couple of years because that's what happens. And yeah. when that happens, you can't, you don't go, Oh, well, Hollywood bullshit. It's like, don't blame the writers. You know, yeah. it's like when yeah. transformers two was not strong narratively. Yeah. It's not Aaron Kruger's fault. It's right. and, and, and Kurtzman or C yet it wasn't their fault yet. Yeah. Um, it was paramount's fault and yeah. uh, you know, uh, everyone else involved. Sure. For, for not paying them and setting a release date and making short-sighted decisions. So yep. I think what, 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 what uh, Mike sure said, like the idea that like these companies that are in competition with each other, you know, every other part of the year, every 10, 10 or 15 years decide they're going to like link arms together and like try to pull one over on the writers, like as a, as a United front is yeah. insane. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yep. just bullying. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. I, I hope it ends. I hope that the demands are met and it's 
Yeah. It's dumb and it's disheartening yeah. for people who want to get into the industry. Correct. So. Correct. Okay. Well, I have a, I hope everyone has a good weekend. I'm depressed. <laughs> Go watch air. Go watch air. Yay. Bye. <laughs> it's the story of a very talented man who worked very hard. And was paid fairly. Yeah, more than dude. fairly. Yeah. <laughs> Way more than fairly. <laughs> fairly has the word air in it. It does. That's Yay. the only joke I'll write for this podcast. That is, that's me being in solidarity with the writers. I won't write any more material for the nope. show. No more material shall be written. That's it. Yay. Oh, that's what I should do. I, I should just not write for the next week and say it's in solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm over here like catching up on my essays and like putting stuff out like yeah. faster yeah, me- than normal. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a beat sheet and doing research. I'm and furiously writing this yeah. month. <laughs> yeah. But it's not for money or the WGA, so. Correct. Yeah. Okay, well. Yay. Okay, everybody. Have a better weekend. I'll see you see you guys next time. Goodbye. Cheers. Goodbye.